0: So the Super Bowl commercial, that one ended with, we're all one team, and it shows that there are people and leaders of different faith traditions going and hanging out at the game. And so the question comes up, are we all on one team? And so today we're going to explore what we as followers of Christ believe and Wherever you fall on this spectrum again, it is a a place of respect It is a place of asking questions West will always affirm the ability to ask questions and explore So I may say some things today that challenge where you are in your understanding of faith But the bottom line is we've made Christianity really complicated And it isn't And that the bottom line of Christianity and following Jesus and worshiping God that distinguishes us as followers of Jesus from the other world religions is that it is about a relationship. It is not about a book although we have Holy Scripture that we use as a guide for us to reveal and also to reveal to us who God is and the nature of God. And we believe that that nature is revealed to us through the person of Jesus Christ. But it is about a relationship. So this morning as we dive into this, I want us to explore where is Our relationship. I want you to think about that for yourself, not worry about mine or your neighbor's, but ask yourself where am I with Jesus? Because at the end of the day, we believe that following Jesus and and being a Christian is about a transformational journey. Salvation is about transformation, it is not about a transaction. And we have made Christianity, and I'll tell you why in a little while, but we have made Chris Christianity about like this great big life insurance policy. We want it to keep us from, you know, burning in hell if we grew up in a conservative, a conservative manner. And, and we've made it about who's out instead of who's in. And, and that so is not what Jesus intended when he came and, and walked on the earth. So, I want you to see if you know this verse by heart. And I want you to clap out loud if you do. And if you don't, please don't be embarrassed. John 3.16, can you say that? Clap if you don't know it by heart don't be embarrassed about that that is nothing to be embarrassed about at all now Martin Luther said John three sixteen was like the gospel in miniature so this morning that's the one passage of scripture that I want us to look at and truth is probably more of us than clapped don't know it by heart and again that is okay but back in the like 70s when I was a young person the church that I went to you had to know that like you You had to be able to say it off the top of your head and you didn't really probably even know what the words meant like begotten what does begotten mean you know but you had to know it it was like a, a trademark of our faith and honestly I think the more I grew in my faith journey the more I just got ticked off at that one verse because I'm like it was like crammed down my crammed down my throat and and I think it for me lost the nature of God and it didn't reveal to me anything other than this dogma that you had to do a b and c and and it be, made christianity become for me and if then religion do you have you ever had if then statements in your life if you do this then this will happen i despise if then statements like uh, our son and i were having a little banter over christmas and and so Scott and I are in this place that we're trying to redefine our role as parents now that our children are adults and they want to be treated as such and so we Andrew and I were having this banter over christmas and what he doesn't understand is i do have just a few years of experience on him and so he was like well if this happens then this will happen and blah 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 I'm like dude nah you don't get to do that with me you don't get to have if then statements with me as your mother we're in relationship together he's like oh okay I'm like score one for mom if then statements are conditional They make our relationships be conditional. We make it about doing things and not doing things. And it's almost as if our religion becomes a scorecard. And we think that God is up, you know, in heaven keeping some giant scorecard for us and that, you know, at the end of our journey here he's going to f- pull it out of this big Rolodex and say, hmm, Andrea Smith, yay, 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 no, 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 oh, it's iffy. okay, I'm going to let her in. That's what we have reduced Christianity to being. Because we make it This if-then statement, if we do this, if we live like this, then this is going to happen. Now, there is some truth to that in that salvation is transformation. And so, if we allow ourselves to be transformed, then we will want to live differently. If we allow this to be a relationship that penetrates our lives and, and gets down in our soul because we understand the nature of God and who God is and what God is in our lives then then yeah we'll live different but it isn't a magical checklist and christianity has been reduced to that so this morning i want to give a new definition i hope to john 3:16 I would love it if we actually did memorize it as a faith community because, as I said, Martin Luther said it's the gospel in miniature. So it takes all of this, all of this, and reduces it down to one verse. So let's take a look at that for just a second. God so loved the world, and I'm going to say God because God is not a gender. God so loved the world that God gave God's only son so that everyone who believes in him, Jesus, won't perish, but will have eternal life. Now, I don't normally ask you to read things with me, but I am going to ask that this morning. And I'm going to ask where you see a pronoun, he or his, uh, earlier in the verse that you say God. Ready? Read it with me. God so loved the world that God gave God's only son... So that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. So for just a few minutes, I've asked the production team to just leave this up there on the screen. For just a few minutes, I want us to unpack this verse and see what it really means. Because again, it's not a life insurance policy. It isn't an if-then statement. It is a statement of who we are. And what we believe It starts out with something that unites all of the world religions together It starts out with the word God One of the things that you shared with me after last Sunday When we heard uh, Arzu speak about the Islamic faith and, and her heritage as a Muslim Allah is love the verses that she read from the Quran were about how loving God is. Well, guess what? Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, we're all united under this, this umbrella that we understand God to be love. So there is a foundational principle that does unite us all together. Yeah, we are all on the same team that we are human beings and, and we all are in search for those great existential questions and answers. You know, who are we? Why are we here? Is there forgiveness? Is there a purpose to this thing called life? So those things unite us together and we do all have this concept and this idea of God. And every religion has the idea that God is love. But then that's where we start to go on different paths. And we believe that God reveals God's love in lots of different ways. As followers of Jesus, we believe that God reveals God's self to us through the person of Jesus. But it starts out with this basic rudimentary understanding that God is love and that god has been god is and god will always be when the big bang happened we believe that god was a part of that christianity believes that god was a part most Branches of Christianity Believe that God was a part of that And remember last week at the end of the message I talked about that there are radicals In the Islamic faith And I talked about how there are also radicals In Christianity as well And remember that there are lots of Different branches of Christianity So I'm talking about this From a United Methodist perspective And the bottom line for us As United Methodist is It all goes back to God's grace We believe that uh, There's this thing called free will will and we get to choose what we do and that, yes, there is a path and there is a will for us that God intends us to live and it starts here and then it ends here and we go all over the place on this path. But we believe that God, who is love, is always drawing us to God and that God gives us the room to mess up but is always urging us back to come and and fall back in love with God or get back on that that path of divine will for our lives, which is to exist in that spirit and in that relationship of love. Now, I told you that there are different branches of, of Christianity. Some believe that God is only several thousand years old. And some will tell you that the Bible and Genesis and the creation stories at the beginning, that they're a history account for us. That is not what we as United Methodists believe, and we believe that God and science can exist together. But the bottom the on bottom the core principle for us is that God has always been, God is, and God will always be. So that's what we start with, God. But then the next principle that builds on that is God so loved the world. Now there are different words in our scripture, in the Hebrew scripture, which we know of as the Old Testament. There's this word for love, it's called hesed and that is not a warm fuzzy feeling that is not like oh you're so nice to me i love you i hesed you no it is like this determined determined love that pursues us all of our lives that's what hesed is so god so loved the world god had this determination this inclusion This existence of love and mercy and grace that is with us all of our days. In the New Testament, the word is agape. It's the most beautiful, radical understanding we can have of love ever. For God so loved the world that God gave his only begotten son. So what is begotten? Mean. It means that Jesus came to us with a, a duality of nature that we don't understand because our brains are not wired to think that way. But that Jesus exists as fully revealing to us God and also human form. So Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, but was begotten also of God. So there's this dual nature of Jesus Christ, and and it gets really complicated. And this probably, well, not probably, this is where Christianity started to, you know diffuse its its way of thinking at the council of chalcedon in 451 ce be impressed i remember that date because that's not my thing that was light laugh just a little because this is a heavy message but at the council of chalcedon they were debating the nature of jesus and and they tried to put some words around it that perhaps the europe the westernized european understanding of jesus has taken a little too far and again we've we've made jesus like this checklist and that is not who jesus was intended to be for god so loved the world that god gave his only begotten son That whosoever, whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. So what does that mean? So I want you to hear this passage uh, from the Gospel of John about Jesus. We all live off his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. Now we got the basics from Moses. And then this exuberant giving and receiving, this endless knowing and understanding, all this came through Jesus, the Messiah. No one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse. This one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father has made God the Father plain as day. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, won't perish, but will have everlasting life. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means that God put Jesus on this earth as the incarnation of God. And again, this is where we just vastly differ from our friends of other world religions. They see Jesus as a prophet. We think Jesus is so, so, so much more. We believe that Jesus is God's face, we believe that Jesus is the voice of God, the actions of God. That if we look at Jesus and we have a relationship with him, even though he's not here now in person, we believe that Jesus left the, the Holy Spirit, the advocate that would be with us every day of our lives. We, If we will have a relationship with that person of Jesus Christ and, and we can see how he lived and how he loved, if we'll embrace a relationship with that, then guess what? We are embracing a relationship with God God reveals God's self to us Through the person of Jesus And John describes it so beautifully No one's ever seen God Not so much as a glimpse But this one-of-a-kind God expression Who exists at the very heart of the Father Makes God for us as plain as day Jesus, the Messiah Jesus, the one who came and showed us how to live and how to love. And that's what salvation is about. If we embrace this relationship with Jesus, then hopefully it changes us. Now, I talked to you about the Council of Chalcedon and how in 451 they started debating the, the nature of Jesus. Was he really, you know, fully human? And, and does that not discount who he was if he was human? Actually, no. It makes Jesus that much more powerful because guess what? When crap happens in our lives and we are frustrated or we're sad or we're devastated and just bigger than sad or we're angry and we feel like no matter how hard we try and what we do that life just never gives us a break and it's hurdle after hurdle after hurdle and we want to give up, we want to throw in the towel, we want to say forget this. If there's a God and God is good and God is loving, then why does my life suck so much? Jesus felt the very same things. When we sat in the garden of Gethsemane, I still can't say that word, Gethsemane, Uh, I had to practice it a lot for the little videos we made in the Holy Land, Scott had to keep redoing the video because I kept masquering that word, but when we sat there in that garden, there was such this powerful feeling because that's where Jesus said, if in modern day vernacular, so forgive me if this offends you, but hey Yoo-hoo, you seem to have forgotten me because this really bites. My best friends have deserted me. They're not sticking by me. And in just a minute, the soldiers are going to come. They're going to beat the daylights out of me, and then they're going to kill me. So, hey, Daddy, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, then now would be a good time. If Jesus were talking in modern day vernacular, and remember, he hung out with the people that nobody else wanted to hang out with. He hung out with the criminals and the tax collectors and and the women who were loose with their morality. Those are the very people that he would have hung out with. So yeah, he would not have been churchy. He would not have said, oh, Heavenly Father. I just don't think he would. He was real. He was so real. And he experienced every pain that we do, every doubt. He felt alone. God, God the Father, Abba, Daddy, that's what he would have called him, that was his word for God. He felt like God deserted him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever will believe in him doesn't perish, but will have everlasting life. Because guess what? That dual nature of Jesus, fully divine, but also fully human, reveals to us the nature of God and how much God loves us. Because guess what? Something happened in him in that garden and in the moments after that changed him. He went from saying, yo, this bites and I don't want to do it to hanging on the cross and offering forgiveness to criminals and the people who were killing him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Something happened in him. That salvation he modeled for us is here for us today, salvation, transformation, being different right now than we were a day ago or a year ago, that is what John three sixteen is all about, so that we can have everlasting life, Jesus spent a whole lot more time talking about the reign of God and the kingdom of God in the here and now than the life insurance policy. Jesus kept trying to say, hey, listen, this kingdom of heaven, life, life at its fullest and life at its richest is right here, right now. If you'll believe me, if you'll just let me show you, I can show you the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and life. You can get to the Father if you'll, if you'll see me. Because he revealed to us the radical, selfless, loving face of God. And guess what? I will go to my grave saying we have screwed it up as Christians and followers. When we were in the Holy Land, we were at the Church of the the Sepulchre. And that's where, you know, Judaism and the Russian Orthodox Church and Christianity and Islam, it's all right there on the Temple Mount. And it was absolute chaos. Chaos. I spoke to this briefly in the message on Judaism, but that was one of those Sundays that you didn't come to church because you knew that I wasn't here. So, I'm going to tell you that story again. That was, people, laugh today. <laughs> like, I don't want to be three weeks into my little sabbatical and have a neurotic breakdown because I think you all hate me. So, laugh at my jokes, please. So, thank you. Um, We were there and it was chaos. There were so many people you could barely move. If you had claustrophobia, that was not the place for you. I'd been there before, and so Scott was over the crowds. He said, okay, let's go out, because this was not even the real place where they think authentically the the crucifixion happened. They say tradition says. Scott's like, I don't need to see a rock under a glass case. I'm good. So we went outside. Now, what was happening was the Russian Orthodox Church was getting ready for mass, and they take their mass very seriously. I wish we took ro- worship as seriously as they did. So they were lined up, and people were in their way. What did they do? There was no polite, kind tap on the shoulder and said, Hey, excuse me. They, like, bold people over. One of the gentlemen in our group, he literally stumbled because he was in their way. Now, would Jesus have been very happy about that? No. Jesus would have never pushed somebody out of the way so that there could be this exercise of faith. The early Christian fathers and mothers looked at the teachings of Jesus very differently than we look at them today. And I want you to take a look at some of the ways. It's called the seven senses of Scripture. There were seven different ways that the early followers of Jesus, for the first several hundred years after Jesus was on earth, this is how they interpreted all the stories. Literally, historically, allegorically, morally, symbolically, eschatology, and what that means is in the trajectory of history and growth, they would look at it that way, and as archetypal stories. Commonly agreed upon symbolism, and, and we don't have time to get into that today, but like the, the story of Noah and the ark, it's an archetypal story. Now, if you believe that that happened literally, great. If you believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego happened literally, great. Great. If you believe that the Garden of Eden happens just the way it's written in one of the two creation stories that are very different, great. Thank you for getting that Uh, fun. Yeah, like there's two. They don't, they're not the same. The resurrection stories, they're not the same. They all have a different recount. But what I want us to understand is the early fathers and mothers of faith, like Uh, Gregory the Great, Augustine, when they looked at the scripture, when they looked at the stories, they looked at them with seven, seven different ways and lenses. And over the years, over the thousands of years, we have done away with the seven. And really, we've gotten it down to one. And the one that's probably the least in touch with what Jesus would have wanted us to do, which is literal. We've made it so literal. Jesus told stories in parables. They weren't literal. They were stories. He taught by using stories so that they could understand that God loved the world. So that God revealed God's self through Jesus. So that we don't have to perish and we don't have to ever feel alone and like there's no hope. And so we'll have everlasting life. Where are you in the story? Where are you, where am I in our relationships with Jesus? Do we look like Jesus Because being a Christian, that's really what it's all about. We're supposed to just look like him. Because then we reveal to each other the face of God. The last story I want to tell you before we do communion is, uh, again, a little moment of confession from the Holy Land because, you know, I went as a, a person, as a wife, and also as your pastor. Like, I wanted God to do some really big things in my soul there. Because like I said, you know, I've gotten so busy doing ministry that maybe I've missed out on my connection just a little and you need me to have this really powerful connection with God. So I went with humility of heart. And I realized while I was there how quickly humility of heart can go away when we get ticked off at some, you know, extraneous circumstances. So we were on a bus with 52 other people from three other churches. There were four churches total. Uh, Two were United Methodists. One was sort of United Methodist, And one was of a Baptist tradition. And so we had a meeting where the the tour host, all the pastors basically, got together and we talked about who was going to do devotions. I said, just tell me whatever you want me to do excuse me, it'll be an honor and privilege, and I'll be happy to do it. So they gave me four different locations. I had to Google a couple of them because I didn't know what they meant. And so uh, on the third devotion, it was on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, Blessed are you. So that was really cool. I was really excited about it, and the people on our team, different people were going to read a verse of Scripture. And I thought, how cool to be able to read Scripture in the Holy Land. And so we were standing there and I noticed that there's like a lot of activity going on around and not, and from our group, like when we do devotions, traditionally, you know, all 53 of us would be gathered together in an area and the pastor would talk sort of like now you're a captive audience, sort of. And, you know, we, the pastor, would talk and they'd listen and then we'd have prayer and go on our merry way. Well, on this third devotion of mine, I noticed there's all this activity going on around. I thought, well, that's odd, but okay, I'm going to let it go. The fourth devotion, it was on the Mount Precipice. Told you I had to Google it. And that's where Jesus was driven out of Nazareth. That's where Jesus said, A prophet is not welcome in his own hometown. And they were, you know, trying to get ready to kill him. And so he just left Nazareth. It was my turn to do devotion. It was the last one. And, and I was going to tell the story about West and how we're different. And that hasn't always, you know, sat well with others. And I noticed while I was telling this story that, like, over off in the distance was a circle with their Bibles. It's like the stuff you see on TV. And, like, they're in a circle praying, like staging a protest that I was the pastor. And then I started thinking about all the other things, and I thought, yeah, they... They really are. Scott and I were talking about it later, and he said, Yeah, Tamar, our guide from Israel, had gone over to them and asked them to actually come and be a part of the group, and they refused because of my gender. And then I started paying attention, and I noticed that they wouldn't speak to me on the bus. Like, I would speak to them then on purpose because I was determined... You're going to be kind to me. And mm -mm, several of them just walked right past. Well, I I will, but (laughs) here's the point it, forgive my language, but pissed me off. In the Holy Land, I was ticked off because my ego, they should listen to me because I'm a reverend. Jesus would have forgotten about it. He wiped the dust off his feet and just went on his merry way because he knew that not everyone would accept him. I let my humanity get in the way. Today, as we come to the table, I would ask and challenge us all to check our humanity. Where do we let our humanity get in the way of us looking like Jesus? We all have some self-checking that we can do. Salvation is transformation. For God so loved the world that God sent God's Son, that whoever looks like him, And hears like him, touches other people's lives like him, won't perish, but will have everlasting life. When he was with his friends, he knew what was coming, and he wanted them to get it in a way that they hadn't before. And so he took the meal that they had celebrated, the Passover meal, and he gave it new definition. He said, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat this, I want you to do it, and I want you to remember me. Remember the things I've taught you. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks to God. And he said, this is my blood, a blood of a new covenant poured out for you and for many for forgiveness of sins. And every time you drink of it, I want you to do it, and I want you to remember me. This morning, as we come to the table, let us remember, and let us be like Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious God, will you pour out your spirit on this bread and this cup? Make it be for us your body and your blood. Make us be your hands and your feet. And God, the things that we have in our lives, our humanity, our ego, our pride, our hurt feelings, our feelings of desperation and loneliness, our addictions, all the things that we have in our lives that get in our way of us experiencing you, God, forgive us of those. For that is another Trademark of our Christian faith that you have this grace and forgiveness that just washes over us and takes all our stuff away. Pour out on us your spirit here today as we come to your table. In Christ's holy name we pray. So clap if you're pulling for the Patriots. Oh, wow. Clap if you're pulling for the Rams. Clap if you could care less. I want us to pull up John 3.16 on the screen, and I want this to be our benediction today. May we grow and look in ways like Jesus, not just today, but every day. Will you join with me? God so loved the world that God gave God's only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but we'll have eternal life. And we'll know that the worst things are never the last things. Go in peace. Amen.